Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the Alien RPG rules by Free League Publishing. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to languages for all ages, listeners should know that the alien setting can include strong violence and gore. And now, on to the show. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. This is Michael Diamond. This is a special team-up recording. And so we'd like to say hello to all of you, our backers who are listening to this. Thank you for supporting the show. Whether it's from the past week, the past month, or the past year, uh, we appreciate your support. Both myself and the folks at Miskatonic University Podcast appreciate your support. Speaking of that, today we're playing Alien for you. And we'll get to Keeper Bridget in a moment, who has cooked up something super special for us. Uh, But for introductions... I'm going to get that kicked off, and I will be playing today Adam Montgomery, called uh, Monty by his friends and fellow smugglers, which I'm sure we'll hear more about shortly. And uh, yeah, I get us from point A to point B. And to Monty's right. Hi, this is Allie, and I play Captain Veronica Meyer. My colleagues call me Meyer. Good to hear. At the end of the table. My name is Jesse Aponte, and I'm going to be playing... Mason Flint Myers, the the brother of Captain Myers, who works down in the depth of the ship and does what he needs to do down there. Fantastic. Uh, And last but most certainly not least. Hi, I'm John. I'll be playing Julian Haldeman, usually just called Haldeman, the ship's scientist come medic. Fantastic. That sounds like a wonderfully rounded out crew. And so I will put this crew in the hands of our storyteller for today. And that is Keeper Bridget. Hello, hello, everyone. So, as introduced, I am Keeper Bridget. I will be your mother for this afternoon. So, uh, players at the table, uh, if you call me Bridget, I will ignore you. If you want my attention by any means, you will have to go ahead and sit in your discomfort and call me mother. We are going to be playing an an alien game that I actually created about 48 hours ago based on backer support. So, if you're not familiar with the team-up on how this works, both the Old Ways podcast and the Miskatonic University podcast release polls. And our questions were, who are the characters, who is or what is the big baddie, and what is the setting? And then Mike Diamond, you know, consolidated all those numbers. He fed it to me. I semi-teased out some of this information to the characters, and then we have a story. Currently, it is untitled, so what I am going to do is just play through this entire scenario. And at the very end, I'm going to throw it to our cast to see if any of them have a title name for the scenario. So characters, be thinking about that, because one of you may be naming this game at its conclusion, uh, whether or not you survive. And we're going to see about that one as well. So let's get this particular party started. Your characters are all small-time smugglers. We're in the alien universe, as you guys already know. You used to be a crew of five, but now you're a crew of four. Monty, your wife, and this is also going to be uh, Haldeman's big sister, Lily Wong, was once your ship's medic. And guys, she was good. Really, she was brilliant. She was a great fit. She never let you guys down. Her back was always against the wall, and she always put the crew and typically her marriage before herself. But she left the crew about three years ago. She left the crew. She left her little brother. She left her husband. And she left the life of smuggling to 
basically pursue a new career as almost a planet side equivalent to like the Doctors Beyond Borders. So for the past three years, she's been jumping from planet to planet to planet all around the galaxy, especially in conflict zones with colonies or settlements that have been you know, affected by endemic diseases, disasters, wars, things of that nature. Very, very high risk, very, very dangerous, but it's where her heart was. Unfortunately, apparently it wasn't with you guys. So it was not only a crushing blow to the crew to lose her, but to each of you personally, both Monty and Haldeman. So you're still in contact with Lily, of course. Hell, she furnishes most of your contracts right now, mostly by moving medicine, equipment, uh, material and gears from one planet, one settlement, one place to the other. It's highly illegal. You guys have come into some conflict with the Interstellar Trade Commission. We'll talk about that later. What she's doing is highly illegal, but it's always altruistic. That's her phrase anyways. But as a part of our character introductions, I'm curious, Monty, will you tee up a scene for us and tell us about the day that she left? Yeah, I think we'd probably just come off of a pretty harrowing job. The five of us had been in what we would call an exclusion zone. So this is a uh, territory that is contested between a couple of different rival factions. And we were going in to supply aid, uh, something that Lily had con- grown to really strive to do. Uh, and she, she became the sort of person over the past year or so that was always looking to do a little bit of extra good along the way, whether or not we were dropping something off or we were extracting something. It wouldn't matter. She'd always pick something extra we could do along the way. And we'd, uh, we'd been put into a pretty tough position because of her uh, altruism, we'll say. And some of the crew, probably mostly me, had, uh, had objected pretty heavily to it after the mission because she'd nearly gotten some people in a pretty, sti- pretty sticky situation. Not that she wasn't willing to cover it all up, right? Fix everything, be our own sort of personal mother in that regard. But I think for Monty, it was probably just a bridge too far. and. It, it fractured them. So that, that's probably the way I would see it. We're probably sitting out. We probably sat outside the ship. There was probably a lot of hot words. And Monty probably at some point just walked away from the ship because he was just so irritated that she couldn't see that her altruism had nearly got people killed, himself included. Beautifully articulated there, Mike. I have a question for you here. When reviewing your character sheet, it looks like you're still wearing your wedding ring. Yeah. I think Monty's the sort of person that probably doesn't give up on the idea that Lily might come back. That maybe instead of working externally from the group to assist us, she would come back. That maybe the she'd come to understand that uh, her altruism, while um, helpful to a lot of people, is dangerous too. And she's better protected from the inside rather than leading the charge in some of these strange, far-flung systems. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Okay. And it has to be tough to continue to have to see her month after month, year after year, wondering if she's going to come back. Beautifully, absolutely beautifully articulated, Monty. Bravo. So I mentioned prior that you had run into the ICC, which is the Interstellar uh, Commerce Commission for our listeners or for the table. This is basically an agency that prevents the illegal import or export of like dangerous illegal biologicals and chemicals. Granted, the things that Lily are pushing aren't dangerous, but it's still illegal. Like you just can't be moving drugs from place to place like that. There are procedures, there are taxes, there are things, there's way, there's things that, you know, she, she's, she's flying under the radar with her altruism. But 
you're a small operation. You guys find yourself with steady work. But there was that one situation that happened, Flint. And I'm going to tee you up for uh, a description here in just a moment. But you all had landed planet site. And while the rest of the crew was gone and you were finishing up your last post, you know, flight review of the ship, you were hit with a surprise, or maybe it wasn't so much of a surprise, search and seizure. You were the only crew member on the ship when it was present. The marshal of the ICC conducted her search. You guys hid the cargo pretty well, but they were still able to, you know, uncover the crates of steroids, antibiotics, uh, and things of that nature. You took that charge on the chin and you did that sit alone. Six months. It was a cushy planet side, low security prison. You know, it wasn't anything too major. Uh, you're pretty sure that the arresting marshal, one Madison Glick, has a romantic thing for you. But, but the thing is, she also still sent you up the river. So maybe you're reading that whole situation wrong. You're not real sure. But tell me about that event. Tell me about when you got hit with that, that warrant when they started pulling the crates out and how you prevented the rest of the crew from coming in and intercepting or possibly going down with you. So Flint is a character of, uh, uh, tends to keep to himself and uses few words, even though he definitely can get loud when he needs to, but he usually keeps it reserved. When a situation like that would occur, he's definitely one of those types that he's very realistic when he sees a bad situation happening. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, what's the alternative? Does the whole crew go down with me or is it just me? You know? So in that particular situation, I mean, uh, not privy to the exact how it occurred. It would probably be something along the lines of maybe they were coming back from whatever they were doing and they saw him talking with someone and all he did was put his hand up. It was like, stay over there. Just stay over there. He took basically, like I said, the whole brunt of the blame for the situation um, but the good thing is, is he knows the ship. He knows the ship backwards and front. And he knows exactly where the crevices are, where you're not going to find anything at all. But he also knows where the equipment that's out there, that the crates and such, that just can't fit anywhere. And it's like, well, that's going to be on me anyway. So period. So again, he's the type that during that particular situation, he would have just tattled, managed to signal everyone to stay back, would have put the stuff where it needed to be and would have just been like, yeah, I'm not sure how that got there. Maybe smuggled, I'm not sure. I'm not, you know, just kind of riding off of it, but being like, listen, stop bullshitting. Are you going to actually take me in or not? If you are, let's just do it. You know, he's that type of a character where it's like, get it over with. I already know what's going to happen. Wow, yeah, you definitely took that on the chin. That is brutal. When reviewing your character sheet, Flint, your signature item was your father's tool belt. Where was that kept during your incarceration? Uh, definitely, my sister would definitely hold on to it. That's for sure. She may not have had this relationship I had with our father, but she knows how important that tool belt was to me when he passed away oh so long ago. You know, it's just one of those things that I kept on hold to. And again, I'm not someone who's very emotional. So that's one of the few things that would get me to that point. So she knew to keep a hold of it and make sure it was safe. Okay. So your sister, uh, Captain Myers, held on that for you. Good. My last question for you here, Flint, is uh, you did six months over a smuggling job that Lily set up for you guys. Do you blame her for you having to do that time? Is there any resentment there? Or you're like, hey, this was the job. I knew what we were getting into. That's exactly what it would have been. And especially depending on the circumstances of her leaving, it would have been a talk along the lines of, listen, don't blame yourself. I know what line of work I'm in. You know, things happen. You got to take the hits as they come. He, you know, he's very much a 
I know what's going on. I'm not going to bull crap or, or think I'm doing good or whatever the case may be. I know what we're doing. Okay. Ooh, beautifully done. Beautifully done. Beautifully done. All right. Swinging over to Haldeman. Yeah. Let's go see what's going on with our scientists here. So about a year ago, you received a private comms from your uh, sister, Lily Haldeman, that you were going to have to take either in your room or somewhere that was more secluded. You know that this was this stream was coming in right for you. And Lily was excited. She was elated. And she just had this, this overwhelming feel of relief. And she told you that she took care of that situation that you had that was haunting you, that was stopping you from getting legal work that had you on Wayland Utani's biological weapons hot list. What did you do? The thing you need to understand, it's all a huge misunderstanding. Haldeman is uh, very much a fast talker, so he, he's been trying to talk his way out of this for years. But what she said she managed to get him out of was, so, originally, being the youngest of two siblings, Julian wanted to, uh, you know, he wanted to, kind of prove himself. So he went into research while uh, his sister was doing medical work. And it wasn't his fault, but there was an accident and a couple of people died due to a horrible flesh-eating virus. And I I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I just have to interrupt just really fast. When you say a couple, can we get the exact count? Less than 10. More than five. Fine, seven, one of whom was his project supervisor. So, yeah, he lost his Wayland Yutani study grant and kind of has been keeping on the down low, doing, doing what he would consider grunt work. This is not the where he thought he would wind up, but you know, he's got a small lab and he gets to, he's doing experiments. They're nothing cutting edge, but you know, he's. He figures maybe one day we'll get to a planet and he'll get to discover some strange new bioform. That foreshadowing is more phenomenal than I can actually even articulate, John. So I'm curious here, Flint. I'm kind of envisioning, you know, you couldn't get work. You're on everyone's rap sheet, hot sheet, warrant sheet. So your sister kind of drags you on to be a member of this crew. And then she bails and she leaves you with her ex-husband. <laughs> and you, you, you have a medical background, but you're really a scientist. Are you happy to be here? I mean, now that you've got this uh, this blacklist lifted, do you plan on leaving? Do you plan on staying? Where, what are your intentions going forward? So at the start, Haldeman was definitely, uh, ooh, he definitely kind of felt the sting of being in a lower position than where he would have liked. However, you know, he's kind of come to terms to it. He, he really enjoys some parts of the smuggler lifestyle, like the fact that, you know, you can go drinking and do a bit of gambling and, you know, just don't make, a big mess and it's fine and nobody gets mad at you. And, you know, just, he enjoys this part of the life. He, he really enjoys the freedom after all those years of just really strict nose to the grindstone, dedicated, trying to one up his sister and mom's eyes. So while it did take some reassessment of his life goals, yeah, no, he's actually quite happy now. If he sees a research post, maybe he'd take it. But, he wouldn't go out of his way to get one. He's not going to come begging back to weigh you, especially because he's got some pride. 
Okay. Okay. So your resume isn't floating around on Indeed, but you still get notifications on. Yeah. It. You know, they see, oh, we, we, we think you'd be great for this. And he's like, yeah, but it's really out of my way. I don't want to give up everything, for, you know? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. I like that. I like that. So for the most part, Flint is content. Uh, my last question for you here is, if I recall correctly, your signature item was a coin, right? It's a lucky coin. It's a lucky coin. Where do you keep your lucky coin? It's nearly always in his pocket. The only time it is not in his pocket is when he has to go into the lab, which, you know, requires him to empty his pockets for biosafety and stuff. So he removes contamination risks, at which point it goes into his little locker. And uh, yeah, we sure would be terrible if anything happened to it in there. I- Ooh, the lucky coin. Yeah, that's whoo. <laughs> I don't know how I'd handle that going missing. <laughs> Man, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, seven people dying on your watch. That's yeah, flesh eating virus, whatever. But the lucky coin, that's where we draw the line. They all knew the risks. Oh, God, John, you're just you're a joy every day of my life. OK, <laughs> Captain Vicky Meyer, let us roll up our time frame to just a few days ago. You and the crew, but mostly this came to you because you're mostly the one managing things on this ship received an urgent comms from Lily when her face populated on the screen. Meyer, she looked distracted, agitated, and just filled with this sense of urgency. Based on the background visuals that you can see around her, she was in some type of jungle or forested terrain, and she was hurriedly being shuffled by her own crew towards a helicopter. And it was loud. It was so loud. The wind was screaming. The blades from this helicopter were ripping. And then there was an explosion in the background. It threw her and several others to the ground, and the comms went dark for a moment. And you were almost certain, just as your heart skipped that beat, that you had watched Lily die live on this comm. You know these environments, especially you, Captain. You've navigated these terrains. You have faced this type of warfare, and you know the places that Lily typically goes for her work. And just as that thought dawned on you, as you're like, I have to somehow go and tell Monty and I have to go tell Haldeman that, that Lily is dead. Uh, she comes back. Her face populates. It's disheveled. There's a thin line of blood running from a gash on her forehead. And she looks to you and she says, and before I continue, really fast, Allie, team me up with a nickname that she gave you that you actually allow her to get away with, but only her. Nani. Love it. She says, Nani, there. They're evacuating us to the Mir 7 space station. I need you to meet me there. I've got a job for us. I mean, you. And then someone in the background calls. And just the second that this voice comes out, Monty, you're just like, yeah, I've been telling her this for years and she never listens. You hear a male voice go, Lily, you're going to get us fucking killed. We got to go. There's a whirl. There's a whistle. And then there's another sound of like an inbound missile. And there's a pause. And Nani, you look and you see Lily smile. And she says, Mir 7, as soon as you can, okay? Everything's fine. I'm fine. I love you guys. And the comms go dark just before the boom. The comms have gone dark, but something has exploded inside of you. Tell me about what it is about this particular scene that you're watching in Lily's background that takes you directly back to your service days. It's too reminiscent of some of the early extractions, especially on planets where it's already hard enough to get anything done. So trying to leave in dire situations and, you know, hearing explosions and the comms going dark and everything like that just puts me right back 
into being on the ships that have to extract people and how much danger they're in. And seeing someone that I care about going through something that is very familiar to me is wildly uncomfortable. And it makes me want to fully go out and rescue her, but it's hard to do when I'm nowhere near. Wow, that was actually really heartbreaking description there, Allie. But well, Jesus, bravo, well done. I don't recall on your sheet, so I'm going to need you to help mother out. Can you tell me what your signature item is? It is the dog tags from the first comrade that I had that died while I was in the process of, of extracting them. Ooh. You blame yourself for that death? Oh, yeah. What's the name on the dog tags? Carolyn Johnson. Carolyn Johnson. I have to ask because you teed it up and mother is curious. Do you still dream about her? Sometimes. It's not very often, but when I do, sometimes I have to be woken up if there's screaming happening. Okay. So that's something the crew would at least know that you sometimes have harrowing dreams that you have to actually be physically pulled from. Yes, but the only person who knows her name is Flint. Okay. Beautifully done, guys. That is one of my ulterior methods from going around the table doing like just random character introductions. So beautifully done. Way to stick the landing. Golly. Now, today, you all have arrived to the Mir 7 space station. Now, Mir 7 is a great place to grab fuel, food, make any necessary repairs to the dry dock. Flint, this is probably one of your favorite space stations because it's immaculately clean. They have both Android and human crews working around the um, clock and they always, always have whatever you need. It's kind of like it's a lot of these space stations that you guys have been to are just janky. They're riddled with like crime and illegal substances and things like this is actually one of the safer, cleaner, more you know organized ones. It's also a system neutral territory. So all government and corporations are welcome here without being you know largely molested. Mir 7 is large enough to house over 4,000 transient workers, and it has seven levels of concourses with bars, open malls, inexpensive entertainment, things of that nature. I mean, it's really as decent as a place as any. And you guys have uh, docked at the Mir 7. This is where Captain Meyer, that Lily said that they were being evacuated to, so you guys know that she should be somewhere on this space station. So you guys have docked. You are deboarding. And first question I have, are you guys staying together as a group or are you breaking off? I mean, I'd, if, if, if there's nothing stopping me, I'd probably just, uh, my first instinct would be to go to the market to pick up any stuff that the ship needs. Just nothing major, just, you know, maintenance stuff, things to restock on some of the things we have before we go anywhere else. Just one of those standard things I always do whenever we hit a port. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you have a list that's, you know, it's kind of like the grocery list people put on the refrigerator. You know what the ship needs. This part is on its way out. Might as well get it now before it goes. So you're completely okay with branching off. You actually know one of the mechanics here. So this should be a, a, a pretty decent trip. And then plus he owes you a drink. How about the rest of you guys? I think that it's unlikely that Monty would be able to be kept from, especially if he had knowledge that this is where she was evacuated to. He's hunting decks, trying to make sure that her ship got to here. Okay. Now, I'm probably veiled as a um, a business need, right? So, like, if, if Cruder inquired, yeah, I'm going to go hunt Lily down because we can't lose our connection to business. That's where he's going to couch it. But, like, internally, he's probably, like, doing things like adjusting his wedding ring. Like, even little little actions that he doesn't realize that he's doing. So that's probably that's probably he's after. Okay, so your 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 first point of contact is gonna be like, did that ship make it arrive, and did she debuild? Right. Got it. What about you, Meyer or Haldeman? 
Well, I am probably going with Monty because I need to make sure she's safe. If she didn't get extracted properly, I need to know who to kill. Oh, yes! <laughs> yes! Okay. Haldeman, what are you up to? Sounds like we're splitting up, which I love. Haldeman has to go see his sister. It has been a while, and uh, they were really close before she left. So, I mean, he does miss her, even though they're rivals <laughs> in in mom's eyes. But, um, yeah, no, he does miss his big sister. So, yeah, he's going to... He, he's very openly like, no, come on, we'll go find her, and we'll go out for drinks. It'll be great. Okay, okay. So I'm going to start with the three of you very briefly, and then I'm going to jump on over here to Flint and see what type of drama I can cause there. So the three of you, you come down your boardwalk, you are now inside of Mir 7, and you guys know that on the very base floor, like when you guys come in, like the, like level one, they have those long monitors, almost like you would see in an airport terminal or a train terminal where you can see ships that have docked, ships that have come in when something is scheduled for departure. I mean, it's literally set up like that. No role necessary. It does not take you long to see that her organization, which I actually don't have a name for, so I'm going to tee it up to Mike Diamond. Mike Diamond, what is her Doctors Beyond Planets organization called? It's going to be called the uh, Medical Research and Prevention Association. Medical Research and Prevention Association. I like that. I like that a lot. The MR, the MRPA, awesome. All right. Uh, MRPA, you do see as you're looking through the boards that that ship landed safely 48 hours ago. So she's been here at least 48 hours. That's all that kiosk is going to tell you. But as the three of you are looking at it, Mir 7 sees a lot of traffic. There's a fuck ton of traffic happening in Mir 7 right now. The amount of get the fuck off the space station in rapid succession is really high. And then you see a lot of colonial marines scheduled for landing or inbound. There is something hot happening on Mir 7, and you can just see that intuitively by looking at the screen. Yeah, I'd probably point that out to make sure that people catch that note. There are tons of Marines coming in, which means whatever happened is bad and it's going to get worse. Marines don't make things better. Hey, look, it's my people. It's my people! <laughs> uh, speaking of your people, Captain Meyer, you're looking at several of the ship names that are coming in and some of the coding that comes with it, and these are your your, your space, you know, Colonial Marines, but they have a special designation that you're just like, oh God, it's these guys. And you recognize them as the bug squashers. These are the assholes that are sent in that really just go and kill everything. And you also know that Lily has a major disdain for these designations of Marines, these ideas of Marines, mostly because they have a complete lack of consideration, care, or any type of ethics around human life. They go in to burn shit to the ground. It's bullshit. It is bullshit. And there's some bullshit. Hopping over to Flint. Flint, you are moving across the ground level of Mir 7. Uh, and that you know, like, you know, just on the other side of this concourse is going to be where you're going to be heading over to like their, their massive maintenance shop where you can pick up some supplies. And as you are walking forward, you get that feeling that you're being watched. You know that feeling where like the hairs kind of stand up on the back of your neck and you have to look to the right, look to the left. and like, uh, something is weird. I feel like I'm being watched. So whenever that any sort of feeling like that comes across him, he kind of just does this weird smile, like not, not like a 
teach smile, but like a little grin of like, okay, here we go. And it's like, everywhere I go, there's got to be something, right? Anyway, so yeah, so he's going to start looking around uh, subtly to see if he can spot who might be keeping an eye on him. He's kind of trying to be subtle, like he's looking at something or just going down a list of whatever directories next to him. And it's just like, hmm, while keeping his eyes on the periphery for whatever that may be. Okay. Yeah, you look to the right. You have uh, a massive group of uh, Marines that are being loud and rambunctious and they're having the time of their life with drinks and food and something weird on the middle of the table that you can't really tell what it is because they keep jumping over the tables or having a good time. You look over to the left and you can see like a small family that's very quickly gathering their things together. There's a massive group of Wailing Yutani execs that are coming down an elevator or an escalator and it's just very busy. There's a lot of moving pieces and you can't seem to get a ping on, oh, there, there it is. Moving very intentionally, very smoothly between people, around people, you see a tall, lean black woman with fair skin, dark brown eyes, and jet black hair. And you know who this is. You recognize her immediately. This is Marshall Madison Glick. Uh, she has her eyes locked onto you, and she's not rushing towards you, but she is being very intentional about moving people out of her way. And the one thing that's always struck you about Madison Glick Flint is she moves like it hurts to move. She moves with this intensity that's like super rigid and awkward, like she's wrapped in saran wrap. And her personality is exactly the same. She rarely sm smiles outwardly, but you can see it in her eyes. She's very soft-spoken, but she's very direct and authoritative. And you can see her moving towards you. She's all of, you know, 50 feet away, and she's like very gently moving some guy that's like looking over some digital pad out of her way, uh, moving directly onto you. So again, same thing as before. Once he catches who it is, he that smile stays right on his face. He's like, <laughs> and you just like, you know, like, oh, that's who it is. Okay. So he turns around, he's got his hands in his pocket and he's like giving her a dead look in the, in the eyes. And it's like, you know, kind of like, so what's up? You know, he's, he's, he's just ready for whatever bullshit he's, a, she's about to bring in his face. Here comes the bullshit. She finally cuts into the aisle and she looks to you. And again, she doesn't smile, but you can see it in her eyes. And she says, Mr. Mason Myers, good afternoon. Oh, uh, come on, Glick. You can call me Flint. You can see that she wants to smile. You can see that tug on the side of her, her right lips, but she doesn't. She says, you look well. As well as anyone can be in the business. You know how things are. How are things? And there's something that, like, floats across her eyes, and you're like, wait, was that sincerity? Is she actually asking? She looks like she cares. So, yeah, so she, he, he just goes, he goes, no, you know, doing what I got to do, keeping keeping my ship flying, you know how it is. Uh, it looks like we got a busy situation here. You wouldn't have anything to do with it, would you? No. No, I don't have much to do with this. It is a busy situation. Are you here to meet Lily? Saw her land a couple days ago. She was in bad shape. Well, actually, I'm here to, to get some parts for my ship, but yeah, the rest of them are all here for Lily. I guess I'm a part of that, too. She going to have you moving things from place to place again? Oh, come on. You think I tried that again? I don't think you've stopped since you were released six months ago. What? No. <laughs> Me? No. She <clears throat> clears her throat uh, and she, you know, straightens her spine, which was already straightened. So this just looks like super awkward. It literally looks like her body is trying to fight through saran wrap. She's just so incredibly rigid. Like, somebody get this girl a drink. And she says to you, she says... Six months ago, I made a mistake. I was doing my job when I arrested you. But, and she pauses and she looks to you and she's looking at you, but really Flint, she's looking through you. 
and she goes to speak again. She pauses. And just from the, the brief encounters that you have with her, this is, she's, she's getting emotional. That's not something that she does. Uh, she says, those antibiotics and steroids that Lily had you moving, 52 kids died planet-side because they didn't get those drugs. 52. Yeah, because he's like, I know. I'm not surprised. I didn't know. There are bigger things happening. Just because they skirt on the other side of the law doesn't mean they're not right. And she nods. And um, she blinks as she looks down and she you can hear her mutter it under her breath, but it's very soft. She's like 52 kids. I when I saw Lily, I and she decidedly decides, apparently she's not going to be emotional anymore. She says, I have something for you. I figured Monty wouldn't be too far behind with the shape that Lily and her crew came in. Uh, And she reaches into her breast pocket. And she pulls out a little small personal data transmitter. It's about the size of like a little uh, uh, flat old school external flash drive. And she hands it to you. She says, it's a standard PDT. It monitors your vitals, but it will also flag me if you choose. So in the event of an emergency, if you happen to come into another similar situation, this is not a get out of jail free card. But I can't have another 52 kids on my conscience. Glick, I'm touched. And she blinks uh, and she hands it to you and she says, good luck with whatever your next adventure is. You know, hey, remember, there's a lot more to life than books and laws and lines on a sheet of paper. You got to look at the bigger picture. Mr. Mason Myers, the philosopher. And she turns very militantly on her heels and walks away from you. Cutting over to the other three, you have eyes that Lily's ship has landed with the uh, uh, MRPA. What is your next move? I think the idea would be to, to once we have a, a valid landing tag, a deck and dock would be next. Okay. Everybody else heading that way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, one thing <laughs> one thing that, um, that Haldeman does on the way is that he does stop to buy, like, a medium price bottle of whiskey. <laughs> a medium price bottle of whiskey? Yeah, it's not going to be the nicest. It's not going to be garbage. It's going to be something in the middle of the road because that's what he can afford. <laughs> okay. It, <laughs> look, no issue. Smugglers aren't super rich. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So you're able to get a, a middle of the road bottle of whiskey. Yeah, so, he, so he's just got that with him as we're going along. Brown bag, of course, but you know, or whatever the... <laughs> space station equivalent of a brown bag of whiskeys. It's going to be a brown bag today, damn it, because that's the middle image I have in my head and that is going to stick. <laughs> so you're jogging to catch up with Myers and Monty. And Myers and Monty, you know that uh, uh, Haldeman had stepped off to you know buy something from one of the freestanding alcohol kiosks. But you guys pass that large stainless steel picnic table of Colonial Marines that I had just vaguely described over there to Flint. And uh, Meyer, this is one thing you definitely pick up on. There's about 20 of them. They are eating. They are laughing. They're being loud and rambunctious. Uh, All of their helmets and gear are painted with the words X, like the letter X, dash, and then really horrible recreative spellings of Terminators. Just, they're these guys. Like, all of them should be designed on the disbarred. But you know what? There's a place for everyone, I guess, in this world. At the center of this massive table, there are two wolf-sized crustaceans that you can tell like they're these massive beetles with their wings spread out but there are knives dozens of knives stabbed into them there's no blood there's no ick or anything licking out so you're not really sure whether or not these are models or like their mascot or whatever the fuck it is but both of you specifically Monty and Meyer can hear these type of conversations happen 
tribal ingrates. The three world empire by, uh, builds a colony, tries to domesticate these assholes, put them in real clothes and teach them to, you know, like read and shit. And this is the thanks we get. Fuck them. Somebody else a try, man. Tribal bugs. Yeah, fucking tribal men. Fuck them. Bugs, bugs, bugs. And you quickly realize that the bugs is just a very derogatory racist connotation for the tribal people. Uh, and the language continues to get more and more grotesque, which I will not do here on air, but you can go ahead and visualize in your head. And then finally, one of the younger recruits says, uh, that's all right. The bug squashers, the exterminators are here now, folks. We'll flush those tribal bugs. Ooh, speaking of flushed out. And this guy leans out of his chair at you, uh, Myers. And he starts barking at you. As you're walking by I don't have patience for this. I'm going to slap him. <laughs> Just a fucking backhand. I'm done with it already. <laughs> I am not going to waste your time with a close combat role because he doesn't see it coming. He is high on his racism uh, and his classism and everything else. And just give me narrative of what this looks like as he's like leaning out of his chair at your feet. I'm going to tell him to shut up, you fucking dog, and just <laughs> backhand him hard enough that he lands on his ass, and I'm going to walk away. <laughs> Holy shit. Beautiful, then. He face crashes into the Marine sitting next to him. He falls onto his ass where his feet kind of catch the top of the table where his back hits the floor twice. Half of the table thought that was the funniest thing that has happened this week as, like, laughter erupts. The other half of the table is not very amused, and you can hear the sounds of metal grinding against the floor as several Marines stand up and look dead at you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna appear at the uh, captain's side and say, uh, let, "Let's not pick a fight with a table full of Marines." That's the name of the game. <laughs> Maybe they should watch their fucking mouths then. Right, uh, they're Marines, Captain. They don't know how to do that. I'm gonna um, sort of nod my head in the direction that we were going. Okay. You nod your head to, you know, like, let's move forward, please. And you're nodding your head directly into two of these Marines. Very petite, Hispanic-looking female. Uh, and then a much larger, very angry, bald, clean-shaven white male who are now black blocking your path. And guy on the floor is getting up. It's like, fucking bitch! And he's coming in hot. About this time, you show up with your whiskey bottle here, by the way. <laughs> Alderman. Haldeman knows enough to know that Haldeman has never won a fist fight, regardless of how sober or drunk he is, regardless of who it's against. So he's just like, oh, Kidoki, well, let's just be going. And like tries to get around the two Marines. <laughs> I'm not with them. I'm just going to go ahead and skirt. I'm going to go to where that ship docked. I'll meet y'all there. <laughs> Ooh, that looks bad. Let me just... Uh... <laughs> what I will do is... I'm now going to be looking for, like, a fire alarm. Oh, God. <laughs> or <laughs> I'm like a space station, the worst place to flip a fire alarm or a fire extinguisher. Something that I can use as a distraction to um, give my fucking crewmates a way out because <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not that smart. <laughs> no, hey, no, listen, I'm with it. You are skirting around and you got your eyes peeled. What can I use? 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 And of course, you know, this is a space station. Doesn't take you long to just lock eyes. And I was like, oh, thank God, there's a fire extinguisher in a glass case. Cutting back over to you two, Monty and Flint, the 
tiny Hispanic woman moves up to you, Meyer, and she's just about toe-to-toe with you. It's like, I think you owe my friend an apology. I think you should keep your friend in mind. And she's going to go for a shove. Okay. You can dodge this if you would like, or you can combat it with uh, another close combat. We can do it opposed. You can just get the hell out of the way. Give me an idea of what you want to do with her intent is to shove you. Oh, no, I'm going to I'm gonna fight back. Oh, beautiful. Okay, go ahead and roll me your close combat, please. Uh, I am three for, wait. Yeah, three for three. Um, sorry, so you got, uh, how many sixes did you get? Three. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so I only got one. Go ahead and take narrative. She goes to shove me and... I grab her hand and give her an arm bar and knock her knee out from under her and put her <gasps> to the ground. And reiterate, you should keep your friends in line. Monty, what are you doing as this Marine is face first on the ground right now? I am a little stunned, actually. I wasn't aware that the captain was such a badass, but, you know, life out on the rim, that'll do that to you. Uh, I will look down as... a. Uh, Monty is the sort of person who loves to get the last uh, last word in. Uh, and he will say, this this is the only apology you're going to get. The written one, we don't have the crayons you use. <gasps> <laughs> That's fucking badass. And, and my plan would be to use um, empathy manipulation into trying to do a mic drop, as it were. Yes! Right? Um, <laughs> I, want, I want us to be able to walk away clean before there's any sort of further marine play. Holy shit, please give it to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've got two successes. Holy shit, okay. Because this isn't, like, I'm not going to go ahead and worry about stunts right now. We will cycle back into those, but just go ahead and take yours with a stunt and give me narrative. Yeah, I I think he he probably just leans down a little bit into this marine that's been put on the floor and he doesn't whisper it at all. He tries to come off really cold in in hopes that he can sort of butch up in front of a bunch of armed marines that like hey you're not the only badasses on this station so maybe you should maybe you should just step back and then I will turn heel and say captain and then begin moving in the way we were going silently hoping that we can get the fuck out of here before bad things happen ooh Monty, you are uh, silently hoping against hope, and you're very quickly, you know, as your head sweeps, you're looking over the faces at these at these 20 or so Marines. Again, a solid half of them think this is now the funniest thing that has happened this entire goddamn week for them. They're like, this is hysterical. The other ones don't think it's this funny. The other ones are bloodthirsty. They're amped up on their own hatred. They're amped up on something else. And you can see them almost in like the Velociraptor, you know, strategic move. They're moving in on you. But when you speak those words... Uh, and you beckon your captain on, more or less, this is kind of like just sexy flavor text for your stunt. You can see one or two of them, like, hold up a hand, stopping other people from approaching. You can see, like, one gentleman that's like, nah, fuck it, I'm just going to go ahead and, and just 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 bulldoze them. You can see someone else kind of, like, you know, put their hand on their waist, like, just leave it. We've got bigger fish to fry. Who cares? And they're on the ground. <laughs> Meyer, you have a uh, screaming woman. Not screaming, but she's, get off of me. I got it. I got it. I got it but she's complying on the ground. Well, I'm going to let her go and keeping her in my peripheral, I'll be walking away. And if she comes at me, I'll sock her in the face. You walk away. You have her in your peripheral vision. She goes to all four. She pulls herself up onto her two feet and she looks at the bald gentleman next to her and she just shoves him in the waist. Like, so you're just going to let her fuck my shit up and not do anything? 
whole table thinks that's absolutely hysterical, and then they all kind of gravitate back to what it is they were doing. But damn it, Alderman, you did find that fire extinguisher. Yep, he's been standing behind it the whole beside it the whole time, like just ready to give it a quick elbow to break the pain. <laughs> so so that he could run over and just like start spraying it around with a goddamn <laughs> smoke bomb if he had to. But he's just happy to see that once again things have managed to avoid all that crap. So yeah, he's he's quite happy to not have to do a thing that security would inevitably ca- call him up for later on. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, we made it. We made it. We made it. Somehow you guys got through a whole a whole group of twenty marines with <laughs> some badassery from your captain and a really s- that crayon remark, Mike Diamond. That that's what I'm here for. Fucking Jesus. <laughs> So it doesn't take you guys long to get to uh, additional kiosks where you're actually able to anonymously page certain rooms. So they don't give you the room numbers to like where people are actually staying, but they do have their names if they choose to be listed publicly, where you can hit these intercoms and connect with somebody who's staying on Mir 7. So it doesn't take you guys long at all to be able to find that and get to that kiosk or to one of those several kiosks. Who's calling her? I mean, I'll probably um, go for the controls unless someone beats me to them specifically. Okay. No issues whatsoever. You are able to uh, get there, find her name, and come in. And there is a ring, and a ring, and a ring. And you're thinking to yourself, like, all right, so this is supposed to go directly to her room, her chambers. And if she has one of the Mirror 7 PDAs attached to it, if it doesn't catch her in a room, it should catch her here. And there's a ring, and then a voice comes on that is not Lily. And you can hear... Not screaming in the background, but it sounds like somebody is in a lot of pain. There's a lot of groaning uh, and grunting. You can hear a sound of like metal, some type of, uh, you imagine a a sheet of metal or a metal utensil, something getting flipped over and hitting the ground. And you hear a voice go, yeah, 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 yeah. Lily? Uh, No, she's got her hand up an android's ass. Who is this? Uh, This is Monty. The brother or the husband? Ex-husband. Got it. Hold on. And the line should go on to a pause, but he accidentally hangs up. Amateur hour. I call back. <laughs> ring, ring. Monty? Is this Lily? Yes, this Lily. Hey. Hi, you're here. Yeah. Hi. Can, um, we're, um, can, can you just, just one, just, I'm just so sorry. One second. And there's actually, you go on a hold, you get the bullshit hold. Right oh, I turn to the captain, throw my hands up. Where are the people who brought her out? That's what I need to know. Like, I don't, I don't know. She's busy playing synthetic proctologist. I don't know. Comms chime back on. Monty. Hi, sorry about that. It's been a crazy morning. Oh, no, no, I need you. I know you, you need your space and, well, hands free to talk. Okay. That sounded like we were getting ready to start a fight. And I didn't, I just, I don't need that right now. I'm really sorry. Um, um, can you guys come up? Sure. Oh, well, um. Are there, are there any um, massive waves of Marines between you and I? Um, no, I think it's just the assholes in the lobby, but they've been coming in and out all day. There's going to be a massive, massive, massive invasion of Lena 349. Do I know anything about Lena 349? Uh, you know what? These planets, they pop up, they come on the radar, they fall off the radar. At Lena 4, 349 is what? No, it's it's some new planet. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll come up. We'll come up. It doesn't take you guys long. She's up on the fourth floor for the three of you guys to get up there. And what I'm going to do is as you hit the hallway, 
you can hear where all this noise is coming from because there are several people that are like hanging out of their doors, looking down the hallway, like what the hell is going on in room 12? And as you guys are approaching, uh, the door swings open. She jumps out and very quickly, suspiciously shuts the door behind her and she's covered in, it looks like milk. And she just gives you this big smile. She goes, hi. And then we're going to cut over to, <laughs> we're going to cut over to Flint for just a second. Flint, what's your next move, baby? All right, so my my goal is pretty much, especially after I got that hint that something happened with uh, um, Lily's crew from Glick, I still want to get what we need, but I just do like a quick snap. I'm like, instead of browsing, I'm just like, I know this, 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 and I just shove it all back to the ship, and then I go pursue their same lead, which was to go to a kiosk and see where the hell they might be. Gotcha, gotcha. So that doesn't take long at all. Actually, what I'm going to do, being that you're uh, shopping, shopping, they had their whole showdown with the Marines. Am I okay just to put you guys all together as she closes that door and jumps out? Looks like she's covered in milk. The four of you guys are there. Is that safe? Yeah, that's fine. You conveniently meet in in an elevator. (laughs) Oh, it's just so convenient for mother. All right. So you guys are all there. Lily smiles and looks very relieved and happy to see you, Monty. She jumps up. Uh, on her tippy toes and gives you uh, a hug, which means you're getting chest to chest with whatever this white shit is she's covered in. What? Thanks. It's good to see you too. (laughs) She smiles and she moves over to you, Haldeman, and she does the exact same thing where she hugs you regardless of the mess that she looks right now. So you're getting slathered in milk. Yeah. He's like, ah, milk. You know, unless you violate your warranty, you really shouldn't be doing these repairs on your Android. (laughs) Well, um, we're gonna, we'll, we'll just, hi, hi, hi. You okay? You look good. Things have mostly been pretty good, actually, yeah. Um, I mean, I got your message. Thank you very much. I hope you got my one, my return one. Um, I don't, you know how it is. Sometimes you don't know how long it's going to take for them to arrive. But thank you. I'm going to stick with the ship for now. But if something piques my interest, you know, I'm going to take it. But for now, I'm sticking with the, with the crew. And the smile that goes across her face just looks like, you know, for, for, for you right now, it's like she's watching you, you know, across the stage and graduating from, you know, like your PhD program. She just looks so proud. She looks at you and goes, Nani, Nani, Nani. She runs over and there's a big splashy hug. Myers, Lily, Myers. I know, I, I know. And she gives you that really annoying thing she does where she rubs her nose up against your nose, which is really terrible right now because you guys are like smearing this white mucus android fluid all each over each other i'm gonna squeeze her butt <laughs> it'll distract her just enough she yells oh <laughs> and then she looks over to you Lynch. she goes she knows better than to try to jump up and hug you <laughs> boundaries were established probably very early on with her <laughs> flint hi you look like you're busy yeah our um Seven had a had a had a had a rough evacuation off of Lena three four nine. Are you guys hungry? I can't feed you in here, but if you give me a second to get a shower, I can take you down to the lobby. Um, actually, Flint, how how soon could we depart? The ship's good to go. I I already restocked with what I could do out in the field, so we're good. Okay, okay, because we're we're gonna need to move. We're gonna move. We're gonna need to move pretty quickly if that's okay. I can give you all the details. Just let me. Can I shower? Yeah, shower. Yeah, we all have to change your clothes anyway now, so I mean... Okay. Um, is that for me? And she just kind of reaches and snatches the brown paper bag out of your hand there. <laughs> He's like, it was for sharing. You remember sharing, the thing we were encouraged to do? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll share. I'll make sure there's plenty. I'll make sure there's plenty left. And she's already, like, using her teeth to 
drank off the, <laughs> the top. And she looks over to you, Monty, and she just, her eyes light up and you can see that sparkle over them. And she just gives you one of those, I love you looks. And it just immediately takes you back to all the reasons why you genuinely fell in love with this woman. And as you're kind of like suspended in that moment in that gaze with her, she flips her head in and the door locks. Same old Lily. Yeah, it's gonna say. I immediately go towards the kitchen. Did she try to shark you, Haldeman? Is that what happened? I don't I don't want to talk about it. Oh no, we're gonna talk about it at some point. Look, all I'm saying is it wouldn't be the first time I bought something for us as a as a group, and that Lily just took. And I can't be mad about it, because I'm so happy to see her. It's not the first time. It's probably not going to be the last time, but it's fine. It's actually not a big deal. He's smiling. He's just really happy to have seen his sister. They have a better selection in here than they do in the mess. Not shocking. We're, we're, we're going to have to get cleaned up. This is It's going to look like we destroyed a droid and someone's going to ask questions. Listen, we either destroyed a droid or we've been at a really fancy party. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't yeah. think that kind of party is here. Oh, I think it is. Those, those are, they're on every station. It's just that usually people don't wear their, you know going to see your sister for the first time in a while overalls rather than your no overalls. So you guys are able to hit the concourses. You're able to either use the communal showers here. You can go back to your ship and shower. You get cleaned up. uh, You can get half of some unknown android off of your face and your hair and your clothes. And you're able to actually sit down and be able to get something to eat when a freshly messily but freshly washed Lily will sit down to join you. You already know it's going to happen, Monty. You can see it coming down the pipeline. The second she like walks, you know that she's going to sit directly to your left, and you know that she's going to pick up a fork and start trying to eat off your plate. So I'm going to preempt this move, and the way I'm going to do it is uh, I'm going to stab the next bite of food, and then as it comes, as I bring it up towards my mouth, I'm going to reroute it in into her mouth. Oh God! <laughs> so like. She, she, she's going to think she's going to come get my food and I'm going to deliver it and she's not going to be ready for it. So she sits down all smiles. Uh, she does slide over your right shoulder uh, Haldeman, that bottle. You can, There's still liquid in it. It's still in a brown paper bag but she slides it over. She's like drifting her hands over shoulders and she comes right down right next to you, Monty, and she sits down and she is going in for your food. But you're going in on her. <laughs> Because you teed this up so beautifully, just give me narrative on this one, because this is amazing. Yeah, I'm probably having some sort of, um, I would imagine, bioengineered chicken byproduct, um, something that is, you know, sustainably created or or manufactured, because in the future, it's all chicken. And yeah, no, uh, it's probably that and like some salad or whatever. And so I just... Just with the fork, with the left, knowing that she's going to come over the, the just shoulder, I just pass the fork to the other hand and I tap a couple of bites. And as I as I bring it up towards my mouth, I just do a quick right directly into her mouth because I know it's easier than trying to get my fork back from her. There's a moment where when it, it gets into her mouth, she wasn't expecting it. So she has bites down on the fork, which makes her yelp, which is funny like the chicken byproduct weird things like she chokes on it so that's a whole moment where she's trying to like turn her head and she's coughing she's laughing because she didn't see that coming but she's also like you're an asshole so there's all of that happening and two other individuals sit on the other side of the table with you one sitting directly next to you Haldeman is a very very tall and I'm talking like 6'9 maybe 6'10 lean super well cut chocolate man 
bald head and he's got on like uh, uh, just very casual, comfy clothes that are about two sizes too small for him. But he sits down next to you. And even though he's not a very heavy man, like the, the chair next to you kind of bounces. It's just pure muscle mass. Uh, and then sliding in directly next to you, Flint, is a five nine blonde hair, blue eyed woman uh, that is wearing a Wayland Utani sweatshirt that's like a size 5X. And right there in the center, you can see that there's like a crested bowling ball size hole of like white fluid. And at this point, it's all creamed over and it's like stiff and it's just there. And when she sits down, all she can do is wave at you. The gentleman who sits down next to you, him and looks at you and kind of throws his head back and gives you a chin and just looks down at the table towards everyone else. Holden's trying to figure out this guy's wearing slightly too small clothes as a choice or because that's what he's got. Because a lot of the time it's what you got. But when you're that muscular, it's probably a choice. Lily points down at the end of the table as she's... <clears throat> you're an asshole, Monty. Um, Android, that's seven. And that's uh, our crew's roughneck, Calvin. Calvin, seven. This is my family. And... Calvin just kind of waves and Seven is like merrily waving her hands but as her head bobs back and forth you can tell there's some weird malfunction there because it's like very ragged. So uh, in in the in the small pregnant pause while, while everyone's eating and saying hi, Flint is just going to go up and just, you know, he picks his head up off the plate and he just goes, Glick said you guys came back in quite a state from wherever you were coming from. And and just to, to put the point home, he says Glick casual because he knows it's going to perk up a couple of ears, but he's just like saying it matter of factly. So he's just like, Glick said this. And then he just goes back like, what happened? So Lily is looking across the table at you. She's giving you that. Really? You gonna, you think we're going to let that one go? You think we're going to really let that one go today? And then she looks immediately over to Noni to see if she can get Noni to kind of join in on this. Like, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this, right? We have a moment. We can talk about this, right? It's not being articulated, but that's the vibe she's giving off. Oh, yeah. I'm ignoring her and eating. So Lily goes, Glick, really? Did, did, did you want to invite her to dinner? Or were you guys going to do that later? Uh, I don't know. Maybe later. We didn't, it didn't come up in conversation. Uh, she seems a little regretful from our prior interactions. Interactions. That That's a very generous way of putting that she put your ass in jail. Yeah, I usually am not the best speaker of people who uh, put me in you know, prison. You would know, though, I mean, given... Flint just shrugged his shoulders and he goes, I don't hug grudges. We're all very lucky for that. And when he says that, Flint looks up at him and he goes, you're damn right. And he gives us that knowing eye of like, I've got shit in my head that I totally should be angry at, but I'm not. We're cool. <laughs> Lily looks absolutely delighted and she looks down the table at you, uh, Haldeman. She just kind of throws you a wink and it just, guys, it feels good. Despite everything that's going on, the tension that's in Mirror 7, Lily constantly being a train wreck of a train wreck. Like, this feels, this feels good. This feels like home. So she goes to pick something else off of Monty's plate, but she's a little bit more careful about it this time. <laughs> and she says, so, Lena349, um, there's a lot going on planet side. As you can tell, there's a lot going on here. But the best way that I can try to describe this to you is, so the... the um, on Lena 349, there are two nomadic tribes, the Wari and the Eri, and they have been engaged in really ugly, ugly, ugly conflict. Power, land, resources, you know, whatever. It's its pretty much the same when you jump from planet to planet like this. The 
uh, MRPR sent us out to the Dusk Colony. There are two colonies so far right now on Lena 349, Dusk and Dawn. Well, there were two colonies on 349. Dusk is gone. Uh, Dawn is the only operational colony now. But we were sent there to support the Erie tribe as they were our, were a more peaceful tribe and, and, and they were just being, they were being slaughtered. Uh, because these tribes move around, we were stretching our resources, we were stretching our staff, our, our tensions, and we were just getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And that's when the colonial security um, actually decided or received clearance to retaliate against the Wari. They mobilized against Wari, and it was it was a slaughter. There's there's no really other way to say it. And we thought maybe uh, maybe the Wari had backed down. Thing has gotten quiet. We were actually getting ready. Uh, we had our departure papers. We were getting ready to leave, and then the situation changed dramatically. Someone, and we don't know who, it's an unidentified source. It's either a corporate entity or a public enemy of the Three Worlds Empire, but somebody started supplying the Wari with sophisticated weapons. They got them the training and they got them the weapons and the Dust Colony was completely overpowered. Dawn caught in for the Colonial Marines. As you can see, several of them are here. Several of them are currently uh, hanging out outside of Lena 349 waiting for further instructions, but and she looks over to you, Monty, and then she looks over to Myers, and uh, she says, a couple days ago, the Wari blew an entire USCMC frigate directly out of the sky with a land-based weapon. Wow. Yeah. The Marines pissed. Dusk has fallen. And uh, our team, and you can see that she's starting to get emotional, uh, our team was about 300, uh, 300 kilometers north of the Dusk. Evacuation choppers were sent out. They couldn't, they couldn't get all of us out, but they got, they got a few of us out. Some of my crew is still there at that location right outside of the fallen dust. And they're not allowing, they're not allowing anyone in and they're not allowing anyone out. So I need to get to my crew. There are, and she is getting ready to go down a path and she very decidedly backs back off of that. And she says, I'll pay you anything that you want. We'll pay you anything that you want and you can see that Seven, the android, and uh, Calvin, the black gentleman in the table are nodding in agreement. The MRPA will pay you anything you want but we need a good pilot. We need a crew that can keep their hands and their heads about them and we need to move really fast. Flint just goes, we'll do it. It's not a choice you get to make, yeah, Flint. This is, this is not of one thing you're not cap. Uh, but uh, a question, just, you know, real quick, um, how did they shoot down a frigate? I, we, I, Haldeman, I don't know. Somebody, somebody is supplying the worry with sophisticated weapons. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of political pieces moving around. But anything that we say or anything, anytime that I ask, I'm getting here, I, I'm hearing unidentified source, either a corporate or political enemy of the three world empire. But they have very sophisticated weapons on the ground right now. I guess I should be grateful that they're not turning their attentions on the Erie, that they're focusing on the Marines and the colonies, but still death is death and they are laying out scores of bodies at this point. I know this is a big ask. It's flying to an active war zone that we're not wanted in, nor cleared for. But you know we're going to do it. Flint does a knowing nod at, <laughs> at the <laughs> captain. But it's like, see? Told you. Okay, so let's talk logistics. What kind of time frame are we operating under? I assume you want to go now. Now would be good. I don't know what the Marines are waiting on. And I don't I don't have the clearance. But 
no one in my business or no one in my in my in my in my corner has a clearance to figure out when they're going to attack or when they plan on invading. But they're coming in hot. Did you see the board listings? Yeah, it's full of marine ships. Yeah. Okay. Well then I suppose every minute matters. How many people are we trying to get out? So Calvin at the end of the table says three. She responds with five. And then he quickly like almost self-corrects and just drops his head and looks back down at the table. Five. Are they all together? Yes. There are um, some old eerie ruins where we were stationed about uh, 300 kilometers off of the, the fallen dusk. That's 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 where we were extracted from. Uh, that's where they should still be. That's where I told them to stay. How long has it been since you've been there? 48 hours. We've been here two days. And this is what's left of my active crew that could make the trip back or that was willing to make the trip back. Hey, Mama, how big was that clearing? Monty could land it. Okay. And you can feel her kind of hip check you a bit there in your seat, Monty, where she just kind of like bumps her hips into you. It's, it's more of a reassuring type of thing, but it's also one of her played out power play moves that she really doesn't have, but she still attempts to use on you. Sure. I guess I'm just, well, I want to make sure that all of our, um, everybody's eyes are open on this, right? So if we're going to go and we're going to pull out five, we need to make sure the people that are going in aren't going to end up staying because because this is this is why we got out of some of this hero work right i'm just that's all i'm saying and i stand up from the table my character he's got like half a mouth full of food and he's like it's lily we know yeah i think that's the problem the problem is we know but if the captain says we're going then we're going Haldeman looking over the table. Lily has her eyes like um, just sharp, dead-eyed in the center of the table and she's biting her bottom lip. Uh, and you know that as a childhood tick where she is feeling embarrassed or ashamed and you're just looking at her and she's not moving, she's not saying anything, but you know uh, that that line just gutted her emotionally. She's doing whatever she can to kind of hold that mm-hmm. together. Yeah, and uh, Haldeman's not super happy with this setup. He's like, Ah, yes. Another suicide mission for my older sister. Well, this time I've got a much higher chance of dying. But he goes to everybody's glass and he pours out a small measure of the whiskey so that everyone has roughly equal. And he's like, well, look, this is the last one. We can't. Lily, I know it's the right thing, but we can't keep going in like this. (laughs) You know, it's... And, you know, he, like, gets up and he stands beside her and he puts his hand on her shoulder. He's like, it's, you can't keep expecting us to, to ride in and do this. <laughs> this is the last one. Nah, she shakes her head. And as she's shaking her head, you can see that she's uh, juggling tears out of her guts. She slams the whiskey back. Uh, she slams onto the ground and she just says, and it's like a broken voice. She goes, I know. I know. This is the last one, I promise. All right. I'm on board. Hearing her tear up just makes me slide my section of whiskey over to her because I don't need it. No! And she could use the extra holster, I think. She takes it wordlessly and she takes it to the face. She slams it back. There's a throat and she gives you a very apologetic, but sincere smirk. This is the best that she can kind of manage. And in this just like this awkward moment of emotional discomfort, there's a gurgle burp and it almost uh, sounds like flatulence and like everyone's head turns and the android like whatever's going on underneath that Wayland yutani sweatshirt just bubbled up 
and like it popped and like it's freshly wet again and she just shrugs and she stands up from the table. Back on the Nightingale, which I thought was a beautiful ship name that Mike came up with. Bravo. You guys are going to be on your way to Lena 349, which the Mirror uh, 7 space station, this is just a few hours away, guys. This was the closest uh, space station next to this planet. You guys are on your way. She is bringing Calvin and Seven, so you're able to put both of them to work if you choose to. Haldeman doesn't like the idea of the ship getting covered in android milk, so he's actually going to try and use some spare medical tubing to at least redirect (laughs) the open ends of my sister's sloppy work on the android, just so she's not leaking everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Between you and actually Calvin, if you guys are very intentional about like, hey, we have some time now, focus on other things right now, you're at least able to get her put back together enough. Whatever went through her chest went completely through her chest. So they got the back fixed, but they didn't like the back is like some other Android, like a Seekson that they probably just stapled on there. But the front, your elite's able to get stapled, you know, put kind of together. But her interior work, her voice box is on, which is why she can't speak. Some of her motor skill programming is all over the place. But you're at least able to get her to stop leaking and bubbling up and, you know, bursting everywhere. Yeah, sure. And he's just like, oh, man, I kind of wish we took one of those spare PDAs from Mere 7. You could have, he's like fiddling around. He's like, we could have rejigged her, you a voice box. And I mean, you wouldn't sound like you used to. You'd sound like Mere 7. But (laughs) he's like, you know, it would have been nice. And he just goes back to like fiddling and tubing. He's like, so once we get you finished, uh, we're going to set up uh, recovery packs. And he's like, just (laughs) again, it's just medical tubing and zip ties and elastic bands. And he's just like, and then we're going to have them so that we, when we get your people, we're going to have them in the ship and we're going to have them, you know, they're going to have water and they're going to have uh, emergency blankets. They'll have all that stuff. So they won't, he's like, they're going to need recovery here. She may be the doctor, but he's still a medic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what does Calvin do? Uh, I guess that's what I want to know is if we're going to put Calvin to work, what do they do? Calvin is looking up to Flint right now. Uh, he is a roughneck engineer, so heavy machinery, comtech, things of that nature. So he's mostly looking for direction, but you get the impression from actually talking to Calvin that he's very much like, go lift that or move this. So he's probably more of the like the manual labor of the operation. But he's always willing to help. That's my job. Um, but no, I, I, I'll help. Because if anything, um, one, as reliable as Flint can be, one thing that he's weak in is comtech. He's not so great with the computers. He can do mechanical work, no problem. But to try to program Mother to do something correctly, it's not his strong suit. Beautiful. So I can't imagine you guys doing that whole ruff, 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 ruff. I'm roughneck. You're a roughneck. Ruff, ruff. I'm a better roughneck. Oh, oh, wait. I actually, I'm not good at heavy machinery. You actually know how to do that. Can you teach me how to do that? Have you considered programming something else to do that? Oh, you do programming and that buddy friendship happening. So you guys are approaching Lena. 349. I am going to do a very quick round table just to see if there's anything else we need to resolve before I have you guys pretty much approaching orbit. Yeah, I probably want to have a, a conversation with Ellie alone before we get to planet because it's there's probably a bunch of shit that needs to be said. Okay. Where was Lily's favorite place on the Nightingale? Where did she go uh, to clear her head to make herself a happy place? So there's probably this uh, sort of smaller 
Um, we would say at one point it was like a, it was like a maintenance area that had been cleared out and then repurposed into all that equipment repurposed into a different place by uh, by Mason. It just didn't need to be here, and so we had a space that's maybe no more than like a meter or two wide by maybe two or so meters tall. It's it's effectively a closet, and whether gear gets put in there occasionally or not, there's always like a chair in there and a place to put your feet up and the door closes and it's like a a little pocket of nothing and that's probably where she would go and recharge or maybe have there's probably like communication links in there so that you could have somewhat private discussions she probably would tell us something like well when we need to get when i need to schedule the next job i can't do it around all of you they need to know that like you know there's not a bunch of crazy people hanging around so i need my space and so this would be her space and then after leaving the vehicle i think it's probably just remained her space but now we kind of all a little bit communally use it in the same way Um, but it probably has little mementos of her it's probably just got it's like full of graffiti and full of you know pictures or mementos and stuff like that of past jobs like Look, here's this bullet that <laughs> that went into this person that got pulled out. Like, let's keep that and, you know, that sort of thing. Because we're a crew. We do things together. Yeah, you guys are a family. You do things together. No, that's beautiful. Great description, by the way. So as you're moving about the crew, uh, moving about uh, the Nightingale, uh, actually here, Monty, you can see Captain Meyer doing what Meyer does, which is being, you know, firmly in control, giving directions. Ship is on course, hyper-focused. It looks like Haldeman, as you're walking by, has picked up a new puppy android because Seven just follows behind him nonstop, just awkwardly. Like, he stops, she stops, turns around, she turns around. Like, apparently she's just decided this is my everything right now. So uh, Haldeman has adopted a puppy. And you are watching the dynamics very quickly change between Flint and Calvin, where you can see they're like, and then they're like, wait. Wait, 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 let's learn from each other. And then suddenly you can see that that friendship kind of bubbling. So you're watching all of these dynamics around the ship and you're thinking to yourself like, wow, this is something that Lily would love to watch and comment on. And this is something that you guys would gossip about. Like, you know, after you made love and you're in bed and you think like, where is Lily? Uh, and you're looking around longer and longer. You don't see her. And that's when he was like, oh, you know where she is. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop down to um, that area of the ship and just give a real casual knock on the door. You give a casual knock on the door and you can feel a weight shift off of the door. So she must have her back to the door. And then you just get that same knock return to you from the inside of the door. I, uh, door opens out. So I just sort of very easily open the door and look inside. She's on the ground. She has her knees folded up beneath her and she's been crying, which isn't the world's largest surprise. But she does give you a, a smile, at least when she kind of like blinks up as the light floods into this little closet. I figured I'd find you here in your nest. Is it still so? Is it still my nest? Well, I mean, we didn't retrofit it into being a comms bay or a, you know, a auxiliary power center or a battery backup. So it, uh, it still means something. And she nods and she just kind of like scoops over by two or three feet, non-verbally inviting you to come in and sit next to her. Yeah. Come in and crouch down. Monty's not an especially large individual, so he he can probably fit inside here with her. Shut the door. 
and then kind of go uh, kneel down a little bit and put my back against one of the walls. And just for just for a, a couple of heartbeats, feel the vibration of the ship just to make sure that we're still where we need to be on course, where we're going. I try to get a sense of just the ambient machinery around me and then focus back in on her. Is this a closet where you guys are actually cased in total darkness right now? I just want to make sure I have the description clear. Yeah, it's probably mostly dark in here except for um, LEDs and any screens she might have on. None of the screens for calls and stuff like that are on. Everything would be in sort of like a backup mode. So there are probably some light amber LEDs that shine down on us and maybe a, a couple of green blinkings. But it's nothing that would be enough light to... You wouldn't have enough light in here to take a picture. But once after your eyes adjust, you would be able to get those shadows and those colors on skin. Okay. So you're sitting there feeling the vibrations of the ship and you're also kind of like basking in just this uh, awkward, unspoken word presence of your ex-wife. Pretty rough down there. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It's one of the worst I've seen. Any idea what the Marines were doing? Why they chose to go whole hog? No. There's there's something moving beneath the surface there that I don't understand. It's beyond my my political machinations. I just want to help people. Moving underneath the surface. So this place that you got pulled out of, this LZ, what, what, what's it like? What's it look like? Um, well, it's, it's, it's a forested planet. It's really beautiful. Breathing there. Oh, Monty, it's... It's... You've never felt more alive than you have when you actually breathe the Atmo on Lena 349. There are forests, dense forests, beautiful rivers, mountains. It's a gorgeous place. And the eerie people are some of the most creative and brilliant. You should see some of the temples that they built centuries ago. But just like even the ruins that we camped up in are just, it was a really beautiful place. I just need to say, I'm not sorry. About what? I know what I'm asking is wrong. I know what I'm asking is putting everyone in danger and I feel terrible, but I just need you to know I'm not sorry for asking. I'd do it again. I think this is the it's it, it's more of the same. I don't want to argue about it. We're here. We're in flight. There's no turning back for us. That's the kind of people we are. You know that. But these kinds of asks, these grab your cape, let's go play superhero. It's it's patently dangerous. It will get people killed. And if something on the planet is like called them and said, if you're shooting frigates out of the air, we don't want to be anything. We're, this ship isn't a frigate. The nightingale's smooth, supple. That's how it's supposed to be. That's why we do the best work. So I don't want you to apologize for asking. I wouldn't ask you to apologize. You obviously care about these people. But that's the damn thing about you. And care about everybody. Just make sure that your heart doesn't eat us all. And I, uh, I put my arm around her, not in a um, romantic way, because those days are likely gone. But I, I give her a squeeze, and I say, um, "It didn't work out for you and I. The stars weren't where they needed to be, because we were too busy being two different people. Maybe this time around." We can bring back some of the old days, the way it used to work, you know? And I uh, I kind of press my 
when I when I hold her by the shoulder, I press my ring finger into like her shoulder so that she can feel the presence of the wedding ring still there. Once recognizing that, she you know wraps her hand around and she kind of pushes that that indentation of the ring closer uh, into her shoulder. Uh, and she leans her head into you uh, almost in a snuggling motion. And she's taking that deep inhale to speak. And that's when the emergency lighting inside of this little cabin gets bathed in red lights. Captain Myers, things are happening very, very quickly. Your pilot is not at the helm, but you are. And your dashboard has just lit up like a fucking Christmas tree. Alarms are going off through the entire ship. Haldeman, you and Seven are immediately, you know, abruptly like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Because the alarms that you're getting, the urgency that's coming from the sirens all around, it's like you're under imminent attack. Uh, Flint, you and Calvin both recognize that you might actually be under imminent attack. And uh, Myers, you're looking around across your, your, your dashboard here where Monty should be sitting, but it's okay. You're here for the time being. And um, you are seeing a bunch of warnings jumping up. There's an atmospheric deterrent in place, restricted airspace, active war zone, and these all seem to be like those area of effect type of warning. So you have hit a zone where these are you know, activating the alarm systems on your ship. It's not necessarily specific towards your ship. Now, I have a few questions for you guys. We are going to try something that I have never done in the Alien RPG. Comically made fun of these rules <laughs> uh, on the Mystifying University podcast. So to eat my apology, we are actually going to jump into what space combat looks like. So these are the questions that I need to know out the gate as we set up this scene. This question is first going to go to Monty. When you are making this flight towards uh, Lena 349, do you typically travel with your transponders on or off. And just for the fans at home listening, it is illegal to travel with your transponder switched off. It is unlawful and regarded with suspicion. Only smugglers and military vessels would ever be able to do this. This basically makes it where uh, approaching ships have a harder time locating you with their target lock action. So first question that I just need to answer. We, are you running silent or are you running um, normal? Yeah, we are absolutely running silent. This is a smuggling vessel. And we're on an extraction mission. There's no way we're broadcasting transponder. Okay, perfect. Next question I need to have for setup. When you are dealing with space combat and alien the RPG, there are crew positions. I am going to very quickly go over the crew positions. There is the captain who is in overall command of the ship. This person gives orders and draws the initial card. There is the sensor operator. This operates the ship's sensors using the ComTech skill. There's the pilot. This person uh, handles the flight controls. They make piloting roles for ship maneuvers modified by the ship's thrusters rating. I have handled all of that in the background for us. We will just be making quick roles. There is the gunner who handles the ship's ornaments. Your ship, this space clipper, does not have ornaments, but you still need a gunner on board. This person is going to be using the range combat skill. Then you have the engineers who make emergency repairs using the ComTech or heavy machinery role. I need a crew member assigned to each of these roles. Each role must be filled. You can fill more than one role if necessary. I can do um, sensors. Engineer. I need a gunner for range combat. Pilot is pilot. We won't even waste your time on asking that one, Monty. We know what you're doing. It's my thing. Gunner for range combat. I'm a captain gunner. Okay. So you're filling two roles. 
Monty, you have already determined that flying with your transponders is off. You are a smuggling vessel and you keep it low. I need just quick and make this quick, fast, and a hurry. Just give me quick narrative as you guys realize that you're walking into flying into this particular situation. I'm going to start with the captain who is giving orders right now. Just give me quick narrative and then I'll start sending you guys through the actual space combat rules. Well, since Monty is not on the bridge, I'm going to be calling for Monty to come to the bridge and I will be looking to my person for sensors to give me a status report. Okay, uh, let's jump down to sensors. Haldeman. Yeah, Haldeman was, Kurt, was when we got the alarm, he was just moving some stuff for those supply packages. Now he is sprinting to the bridge. All right, you're booking it to the bridge. Seven is right in tow. Beautifully done. Uh, let's hop down to Calvin and Flint. So we should definitely be already downstairs in the uh, uh, bowels of the ship, ready to run over to whatever engine component thing that needs to be boosted, fixed, whatever, to, to make whatever changes we need to get done. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Calvin falls into a, uh, a a very subordinate role with you where he's allowing you to take lead, but it's like the second you reach for something, his hand is out, it's already there. The second you're like, fuck, I'm not good with actually getting this program, and he's already taken care of it. So you guys are working in tandem beautifully. Monty? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to obviously respond. So I think what Monty would do is he would snap to his feet. He would grab for Lily's hand, who should already be reaching for his, because this is like old hat. And we're bursting out of the nest and heading to the bridge. And my plan is to get to that jump seat as soon as I can. Okay. All right. You slide into your jump seat. Everyone is in their positions. And that's when your comms light up. And Captain, Pilot, you guys both recognize that you at least have been targeted by somebody. Someone knows that you're out there. And you hear, USS Nightingale, this is Don Tower. Please be advised that this airspace is currently restricted and designated as a no-fly zone. I repeat, this is a no-fly zone. No ships are permitted to approach. Please turn around immediately or we will be forced to fire. I look back at the captain. Just like as I'm settling into getting my getting my, my belt on. We're not going to answer. Take the long way around if necessary. I don't want to engage. Okay. I um, feed the respond. I, I feed the space the station because I assume this is a station that it's coming from. They, they called themselves. This is Colony Dawn Tower. So this is from the Colony Dawn, the one colony that's still there. Okay. Yeah. I feed them static. Ooh. Bravely done. Let me make a reverse roll against that really fast. Come in again, please. USS Nightingale, this is Dawn Tower. Please be advised that this airspace is currently restricted and designated as a no-fly zone. I repeat, this is a no-fly zone. USS Nightingale, do you read? Looks like the static is working. You're not sure that they're making contact with me. So while that is happening, um, I am preparing, I'll say, into the air. Haldeman, what do we have here? I'm trying to get my hands on the the yolks and prepare to do evasive maneuvers and I need my sensor person to tell me what we're seeing. Mother, may I roll uh, comms? You most certainly can roll that contact. Roll that beautiful thing footage. And by the way, all of your stress did go up by one. Oh boy, that means I get another die to roll. That doesn't mean you get another die to roll. Alright, I got one success on my stress die. Holy shit! You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Bridget. You're so welcome. Okay. Uh, with one success, I mean, you're pretty good at this. Like, you may be a near medic, but you can't handle the context, at least on this ship. Babe, here's what you're catching right now. Right now, the Dawn Tower, which is attached to the Dawn Colony on Lena 349, has a bead on you. There are several other beads that are actively looking for you. They are aware that you're there, but they cannot find you at the moment. 
that is somewhere else coming from the ground, which with your one success, I will give you that you're not able to backtrack the terms that I can't come up with, but more or less a serial number, you're getting some type of um, hot signal. So you're thinking this might be you being trying to be sought after by the worry. Mm-hmm. Some kind of weapons lock on. Yep. And you also have a shit ton of colonial Marines who are watching. Looks like they're also trying to get a bead on you, but they are not engaging right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, I read, read all this. He's like, I'm trying to triangulate our position uh, right now. They only got the one lock. So if you can keep it that way, that would be great. Keep it. I'm going to try to break that lock. Yes. We don't want any sort of weapons locks. Not today. We're busy. We're busy. We've got shit to do. And Captain and your pilot, you hear your last communication from Dawn Tower before they go dark. USS Nightingale, if you can hear this, you brought this on yourself. And that is where we are going to end this afternoon's session. Thank you very much, Mother. And thank you to our listeners and our backers. And we will see you and the rest of the Nightingale crew next time.